We've been talking about growth, growing in our relationship with Christ, growing in Christ's likeness, and said that that our spiritual development in some ways is similar to our development as human beings were born, and as the years pass, physically we get bigger in change. It's a natural process. And the Bible will often use this human growth analogy to help us understand what it means to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. But there are some differences. Our physical growth and change is automatic. You're going to get bigger as you age, no matter what. It just happens. But spiritual growth is not automatic. Just because you've been saved 10 years, 20 years, 30 years does not mean that you are growing spiritually, growing in your relationship with Christ. That Christian growth is more a product of choices we make and other things we do than it is a product of time. We've also learned that our growth as Christians means we change. It's not just that we're older as Christians, but we are changing and becoming more Christ-like. And that means that our character is changing, our values change, our priorities, the way we make decisions, the way we think about life and the purpose of life and our place in this life. All of that changes and becomes more like Christ. We've also said that growth as a Christian occurs best in the environment of community, in a relational setting, that the only way I can learn to forgive, the only way I can learn to develop patience, the only way I can learn to to have forbearance and toleration and other things is to be in community. I can't learn those things if I hide from people and are always running from relationships. And so Christian growth happens best in the context of relationships. It's it's as though God takes relationships and uses them as a laboratory to help us grow. It's equally true that genuine Christian growth will show up in how we treat people, how we deal with people, how we relate to people because God created us to be in community, not to always be alone, to have friends, to have family, to have brothers and sisters in Christ, to be part of a, a church family. But growth does more than just change me. Now, when when I grow as a Christian, I change. When you grow as a Christian, you change. But it does more than change us, affect us individually. My growth as a follower of Christ affects other people. Your growth as a Christian affects other people. My failure to grow, your failure to grow as followers of Christ impacts other people because we don't do it in isolation. And today we're going to focus on how our growth or lack of growth impacts others, including the church. Now, to illustrate this, think about your life. Think about family life. You're a young person. You're a young couple. Remember when you fell in love and you got married? Then you had your first kid and the dynamics of your relationship changed? I mean, a lot of things change when you start having kids. I remember when Monisa and I bought our very first artificial Christmas tree. We bought it at midnight at a grocery store in Sumter, South Carolina. We had seen it in that grocery store. We really liked it. And one Friday evening, we're home and we're thinking, hey, let's go get that tree. So we hop in the car at midnight, drive to that 24-hour grocery store. We buy that artificial Christmas tree, bring it back to the house. Now, we could do that because at that moment in life, we had no kids. If you've got a kid, a baby, a toddler... You don't go out at midnight on the spare of the moment and do stuff like that. So as soon as Stephen was born, the dynamic of our existence and our relationship, what we could and could not do, started 
changing. Then you have a second one, and there's one for each of you, and it really changes. Have a third one. God bless you. There's no hope. It's done. You're dead. It's over. Okay? I mean, it just, it's just the way life is. And so when, when your family grows, it affects you. You cannot increase the number of people in your home without it affecting you. It's impossible. Right? I was talking to uh, Michael Baker. He's usually over. I see Michael over here. I was talking to him the other day. He and Elizabeth have their first beautiful baby girl, and I was asking him about some of the changes in their life, and the first thing out of his mouth was, we can't pick up and just go like we used to do. But then we talked, and he, he, he shared some more ways their life has changed since this God blessed them with this beautiful, beautiful little girl. One of the things he said that struck me was that he's realized how, how at moments in ways he didn't know before he can be selfish. We can be selfish because when you have a baby, you have to think about their needs. And all of a sudden you begin realizing how much our life was focused on self and what I wanted, even more than I ever realized, even if I was trying to be a good person, nice person, generous person, because you start learning things about yourself when you're responsible for someone else. And you have to start adjusting your schedule to that child's schedule. Well, that's change, right? He talked about uh, there being more intentional in terms of making friends and being involved at church and Sunday school because realizing that their friends will have kids and their kids will impact his daughter. And so you start thinking more about who you're friends with and how that affects your family. And you start thinking more about the, the environment you want your child to grow up in. And on and on we can go thinking about the way having children affects our dynamics. Now, one thing he did say that was interesting, and Monique said, I found this true in our own life. They, they are doing now what she and I did quite often. We would go out on Friday night. You know, you've had a week of work. You go out. Let's go eat. You go eat. And then what do you do after you eat? No, it's got nothing to do with romance. You go to the grocery store and buy groceries. <laughs> Because this is the only free time you have, I mean, right? Uh, anybody, can anybody, am I the only weird one in the room that's done that? No, okay, I didn't think so. I mean, it's just life. So when you have kids and your family starts growing, your home starts growing, it affects you. Same thing is true in your spiritual life. When you begin growing in Jesus Christ, it affects you, but it also affects other people. It's similar to how as your children grow you go through different stages, different seasons of life. You have that little baby, all right, you're doing, your, your life is impacted this way. But wait till that child is now 8, 9, 10, 11 years old and you have two or three of them and, and you become a taxi service taking them to dance and to ball games and to this and to that and, 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 and you're just hoping you can find 30 minutes sometime to sit down and eat together, right? Then they become teenagers, and life changes again. Then they are young adults, fall in love, getting married, and your life is changing because all of a sudden they develop this independence and you don't know whether to say something or not and you're trying to find your way in that new relationship. And they have a baby and now you're a grandparent and, and, and is your child the, the daddy or the mother? And then that comes into play in all those. Am I, am, is this real? Huh? Yeah, because as, as your kids grow, it affects you. So why do we think that our growth as Christians or our lack of growth as Christians doesn't affect other people? The, the, the thinking that says it's just about me and my growth and it doesn't matter, it doesn't impact anybody else, that's, that's how a little kid thinks. 
Because a spiritual infant is not aware of their impact beyond their small world. But as you grow and mature, you begin realizing the world is so much bigger. And brothers and sisters, my growth affects this church. My failure to grow affects this church. Your individual growth in Jesus as a Christ-like follower has an impact on this church. And your failure to grow in Christ has an effect on this church. So I want us to look in 1 Corinthians 3 at a passage that talks about the importance of our individual growth and how it affects the people of God, how it affects the church. This passage is a negative passage because he's talking to some Christians who had not grown. Well, I'm going to flip it and draw out the positive lessons, and here's why. If doing this creates a negative reaction, that also can point out to me what doing the opposite, how it can create a positive reaction. So from the negative, we're going to discover the positive lesson, okay? So we're going to look at both, and our focus is on learning what is the positive impact we can have. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter Paul is writing to a church he started. Years have passed, someone else is pastoring, they've had different leaders, and the church is beginning to struggle. And, and, and the struggle is they're not growing spiritually. Individually, the members of that church are not becoming more Christ-like. And the context for chapter 3, found in chapter 2, is this. Paul says, hey, the only person who can really know what another person thinks and feels is that person. So I'm the only one who really knows what's going on inside of me. You are the only one who knows what's going on inside of you. True? So the only person who can know the deep thoughts and the deep feelings of God is God, His Spirit, His Holy Spirit. Well, when you become a follower of Christ... The Holy Spirit comes and lives within you and you are spiritually born again and you become what he calls a spiritual person, a spiritual man. And the Spirit of God living in you helps you begin understanding the thoughts of God, the Word of God, because they are spiritual and they are spiritually discerned and only through the Holy Spirit in you can you really get it. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is not in you, then you are what he calls a natural man, a mere man, a man of the flesh. In other words, a person, a human being, a physical being who does not have the Holy Spirit of God living in him. And so it's harder for you to grasp some of the things of God. And as you grow as a Christian and move from spiritual infancy to spiritual adulthood and spiritual grandparenthood, is there such a word? Now there is. So as you grow, you begin understanding the things, the spiritual things of God even more. So with that backdrop, notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, he's talking to believers, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. He's not saying they are lost. They are believers. They are Christians. But they've been saved long enough, they should be teenagers or adults. The problem is they're still infants. They're not growing spiritually. And because they're not growing, he says, I'm struggling to say to you the spiritual things I want to say to you because you are still a spiritual infant. You're not developing, maturing, growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. You still act like men of the flesh, like men who don't have the Spirit of God living in them. 
Verse 2, he said, I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Well, when you're first born as an infant, we give babies milk and then baby food. We don't give them solid food until they grow. So on the spiritual side, it's appropriate that when you're first saved, you're on milk, you're on baby food. That's appropriate. What's not appropriate is to stay over there. You need to grow. And so he says at the end of verse 2, Indeed, even now you are not yet able. You're still not ready for solid food. You're still stuck over here in spiritual preschool. I mean, you're not growing. And so I can't talk to you like a maturing spiritual person. You ever notice how we talk to babies? Any of y'all ever do this? Y'all talk to me. How do you talk to a baby? Come on, what's some of the stuff you say? Come on, give it to me. Give it to me right now. Come on, how do you talk to a baby, right? We all do It's crazy. We all do it. We, love, ooh, goo, 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 goo. we all do that stuff. That's okay when they're a baby. Now, can you imagine walking up to a teenager and doing that same thing? And so Paul says, I can't talk to you the way I really want to talk to a teenager. I can't talk to you the way I really want to talk to an adult Christian. I can't talk to you the way I want to talk to a, a grandparent Christian because even though you've been saved all these years, you're still little spiritual babies. And i got to go, 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 go to you. Because you're not growing. That's a pretty sad picture, isn't it? Huh? Can we be honest? There's some in this room who've been Christians for a long, long time. You're still stuck over on the preschool side. You still need the baby talk. You're not ready for the spiritual talk. You're still over here. That's okay if you've just gotten saved, but it's not okay if you've been around, you know, following Jesus for 10, 15, 20 years. That's just, that's just not good. Just not good. And so how does our growth affect the church? How does our failure to grow affect the church? Well, here's the first thing. Our growth affects the fellowship of the church. My individual growth as a follower of Christ, your individual growth as a follower of Jesus Christ affects the fellowship of this church, the relationships within this church, the harmony, the community of this church. Notice their problem. He picks up in verse 3 after saying you're still fleshly, you're still just over here acting like somebody without the Spirit of God. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Mere men, men who don't have the Spirit of God in them. When you, when you struggle to get along with people, when you struggle to get along with people at church, Jealousy, strife, etc. He said that's an indication that you're not listening to the Spirit of God who lives within you. You're acting like somebody that does not even have the Holy Spirit within them. You're acting like a like a, a non-believer because believers don't do that. We grow in our ability to have relationships, our ability to get along with people. It doesn't mean we become perfect, but we get better at having relationships. We work through the hard stuff of being in relationships. That's an indicator of growth, he says. Back in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 11, he said, I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, some people in the church that he knew, that there are quarrels among you. They were fighting. They weren't getting along. And he said, that's an indicator of not growing in Christ. 
And here's the conflict. He said in verse 12, Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. What he means is there were different groups in that church identifying with different preachers and their styles of ministry. Paul was the one who started the church. Then Apollos followed him. Peter, Cephas, another name for the apostle Peter, was a prominent leader in the church. And then you have Christ. And you had these people saying, you know, I remember how Paul did it, and I like the way Paul did it, and I associate with Paul. Did it. Well, I like the way Peter did it, and others, I like the way so. And, and they were fighting over that silly stuff. Because no two preachers are the same. No, no ministry styles are the same. And they were arguing and fussing and dividing over styles. And who they identified with the most. And God in his scripture said that was a sign of their failure to grow spiritually. Wow. Because some of you, when I said that, there was an arrow went through your heart because you've done some of that. Right? You said they were arguing over preachers. Isn't that silly? Yeah. But haven't you noticed that a lot of the things that divide people are silly? A lot of the things that we get upset about and stressed about, a lot of the grudges we hold on to when you really think about them in the long term compared to everything else are a little bit silly. Don't children get upset over the smallest things? Hmm. I remember when I was in second grade. I remember it because God began teaching me in an experience that, yes, I could at moments have a selfish tendency in me. And the way he began teaching me that was in second grade in that little school in the mountains, some group, some ministry, some program, I don't know who it was, they were giving away clothing free to the kids who needed it. And I remember the teacher in class giving clothes to several of the kids. I did not get any clothes. I didn't need any clothes. We had plenty of clothes. But I wanted some clothes. I liked the way some of that looked. And so I got my feelings hurt and I I got mad. And I remember during recess sitting with some other buddies outside the classroom. The window was open because it was a beautiful day. And I was just fussing about that mean old teacher who had her pets and her favorites. And I know why she was giving them clothes and she didn't give me any. What I didn't know was that the teacher was standing in the room by the open window hearing every word I said. So we're back in the classroom afterward and she stands up in front of the whole school and she explains the whys and the ins and the outs. And, you know, some hadn't have needs and others don't. And I didn't have any needs. I, I didn't need it. I just wanted it. I didn't need it. And I can remember when she was talking, feeling about that small because even though I was in the second grade and I was not a Christian and I did not go to church, I knew enough to know that I didn't need it and that I had been selfish and that I was wrong. Now, in today's culture, that would never happen. Monice and about 20 people from our church were at Leslie Elementary this week with Samaritan's feet, washing feet and giving shoes to all the kids. Every kid got a pair, whether they needed one or not. I get that. But in our culture today, we would never do anything that would even risk hurting another child's feelings. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, because of that approach, we rob kids of the opportunity to learn and grow and realize 
They're not the center of the world. And sometimes you're going to get your feelings hurt. And that's not always a bad thing because as a follower of Christ, it's an opportunity to grow and become more Christ-like because you're not going to grow if everything is hunky-dory all the time. Yeah. Because you can't learn to get over hurt and disappointment, which is one of the keys to growth. Sometimes protecting ourselves actually hinders our growth. All right. That's another sermon for another time, but... See, when I begin realizing that I can be selfish... Okay? Wow. When I, when I begin to realize that I need to forgive somebody, I need to let go of a grudge, wow. All of a sudden, I, I can begin growing. And when I grow through that, guess what? I bless the fellowship of the church. But when I don't want to grow through that, I want to hold on to it. I want to brag about it. I want to use it as an excuse for whatever. I hurt the church. Because, see, growth blesses me. Not growing hurts me. But growth in me blesses the church. And not growing in me hurts the church. And it's the same thing with you. So our growth helps the fellowship of the church. And our failure to grow hurts the fellowship of the church. Now, Remember that beautiful passage in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit who lives within us, we're spiritual people, and He produces fruit within us. He grows certain things within us. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Brothers and sisters, do those have anything to do with relationships? Huh? See, Christian growth is tied to community, tied to relationships, tied to how you treat people, tied to how you deal with things in life that get messy because all of us as human beings can be messy. You you need to get beyond that lie that spiritual growth is just about Bible study and, and you liking Christian music. You need Bible study to grow. You need Christian music to worship. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're growing. Growth is about changing. And it's showing up in the real world of life where it's not always easy. And yeah, you know, it's like this. It's an upward trajectory, but we we have some, you know, blips in there. We're going to mess up. But we deal with it, and we keep trying to move up. What about that beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 13 everybody likes to have read at weddings that they don't understand? The love passage, which is sandwiched in between two passages talking about the way Christians act at church. Did you know that? So in context, love at church, patient, kind, not jealous, doesn't brag, not arrogant, 
doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, not selfish, not easily provoked. It means you don't get mad at the drop of a hat. Doesn't take into account of wrong suffered, etc., etc., etc. Does that have anything to do with relationships? So you see, Christian growth impacts the fellowship of the church. If I'm growing, then I'm blessing this church and its fellowship. If I'm not growing, I'm hurting this church and its fellowship. All right, we clear on that? All right, good. Second point. Our growth, our growth as a Christian affects the quality of this church. I get tickled to listen to people, you know, the church needs to do this and the church ought to do that. And our the church be better if it did. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how to improve the quality of this church? You become a better follower of Jesus. Each of us do that. Can you imagine what kind of church it'd be? See, notice what he says starting in verses 5 and following. He starts talking again in chapter 3 about their, their fighting. And, and, and so he says, what, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? It's interesting. He didn't say who. But in the Greek it's what. What is Apollos and what is who? What are we? He answers his own question in verse 5. He says, servants. Servants of Jesus, servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one of us. God gave us different tasks, and he used us. We're just servants of Jesus. That's what we are. We're just servants. All of us are just servants of Christ. He said in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one causing the growth. Verse 7, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. God gets all the glory. It's about him. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. We're on the same team, same purpose. Each receives his own reward according to his own labor. How well we do. Verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. He uses two analogies, an agricultural analogy, and then he switches to an architectural analogy. And he says, you know, the church is like a building that's under construction. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, the love of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Foundation is the key to how stable and strong and secure a house is. He said, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man, verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, the only foundation of a true church, a New Testament church, is Jesus the only foundation of the Christian life is Jesus. Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life and then died on the cross for my sin, your sin, for our sin, everyone's sin. Paying the penalty for our sin so we could receive forgiveness. And that when we place our personal faith in Christ, give our lives to Him personally, we are forgiven and the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in our life and we become a Christ follower and we spend the rest of our lives growing spiritually, becoming more like Christ until that day we see Him in heaven where we will be with Him forever in perfection. The foundation of my Christian life is Jesus. The foundation of this church is Jesus. There is no other foundation. That's the gospel. You individually need Jesus in your life. 
That's the foundation for everything else we talk about. That's, that's it. It's Jesus. That's the foundation. That's the starting point. It's not the end point, but it's the starting point. Once He's in your life and you have that foundation, you are to build on it. You are to grow in Christ's likeness. The church founded on Jesus. Great, but we don't stop there. We're to build on it. We're to construct the church. The church is to grow and become more Christ-like. And the only way the church becomes more Christ-like, the only way the quality of the church gets better is for us individually who are a part of this family to grow. Because brothers and sisters, hear me, hear me. The church is not this edifice. We've spent millions on this campus. Many of you have sacrificed for years financially so we could have this campus. God led us to do that. It's a beautiful thing. In our world, in our culture, we need facilities. But this church is not this building. This church isn't the parking lot. The church isn't the Rock Youth Center. The church is an assemblage of people who are built on the foundation of Christ, who have a relationship with Christ. It's a gathering of saved people. We're the church, and we're to grow. And the way this church gets built, gets constructed, is for us individually as followers of Christ to grow and be constructed to look more like Jesus with every passing year. That's how the church gets constructed, gets built. That's how you build on the foundation. It's for each of us individually to grow in Christ likeness Christ likeness now I said my growth affects the quality of the church your growth affects the quality of the church look at verse verse 12 he said if anyone builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw each man's work in verse 13 will become evident the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work we build on the church but all of us don't build with the same quality material which one do you think is more valuable gold and silver and precious stones or weeds So what kind of material are you using to build this church? What are you contributing to the construction of this church? And the basis for that is what kind of material is evident in your own personal construction, your own personal growth as a Christ follower? Because that's what you're contributing to the church. And so your growth contributes to the quality of this church. The quality of your growth contributes, you know, affects the quality of this church's construction. Because the church is not the building, it's us. It's this corporate body of believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, that beautiful passage where he, he says, listen, I've given you all preachers and other leaders in the church. You know why? You know what, why I exist? God's given me the task he's given me is to equip you in your relationship with Christ. Why? So that you can do the work of service. You can do the work of ministry. It's not my job to do the work of the church. It's the church's job to do the work of the church. It's your job to do ministry. My job is, my role in, in growing this church is to equip you, teach you, challenge you, train you. Your role along with me is to do the work of the church, do the ministry of the church, the service of the church. And when that happens, we build up, we construct the body. And this idea that it's the staff's job, the church, you know, the, the preacher's job, it's unbiblical. You're responsible for the quality of this church, for the building, construction of this church by what's happening happening in your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Next slide. And we're to keep doing this until we all attain to unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, mature man, the measure of the stature belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, we're to keep growing until we increasingly look more like Jesus. When that happens, we'll no longer be children just tossed around. Next slide. Grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. In every aspect, every corner, every part of my life, I am to submit to him and say, God, help me grow in that. Oh, God, you're showing me right now that I can be impatient. God, you're showing me that I can be selfish. God, you're showing me that, that, that I don't think about others. God, you're showing me that I have a bad temper. God, you're showing me I have an addiction. God, you're showing me I have misplaced priorities. God, you're showing me I make decisions wrong. God, you're showing me I have the wrong attitude about my Whatever it is, every aspect of my life, as God works in me, I am to allow him to transform, to change, to grow so that I become more like the full measure of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, each of us then contribute as different joints, different parts of the body. We contribute to the whole body what God's given us to contribute and the result of that is it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you get the picture? And isn't it interesting that he said the the most basic test of the growth of the church is relationships. What are you, listen brothers and sisters, what are you contributing to the relationships in this church? Stop asking what's everybody doing for you. That's what the the child asks. The grandparent, the parent, last Sunday, grandparents, they begin focusing on what, what, are, they, what are they going to leave to the generations that come after them? What, what's the impact they're having on the kids and, and the grandkids? It's the kids who have a hard time seeing beyond self, not the adults, not the parents, not the spiritual grandparents. And so the way I think about relationships and issues I'm struggling with is very revealing about where I'm at in my growth and what God's trying to do to help me grow. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not going to get there till I'm in heaven. You're not going to get there till, till, till you're in heaven. But brothers and sisters, if, if today I'm where I was 10 years ago, that's just not, that's just not right. And if 10 years in the future I'm still where I am today, that's just not right. All right, I'm out of time, so the last thing is this. God, God is going to reward those who have a positive impact, a positive effect on the church. Notice what he says in verse 12. If any man builds with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. What are you contributing to the quality of the growth of the church, construction of the church? He said in verse 13, each man's work will become evident. There's a day when it will be visible what you're doing to contribute to this church. For the day, what day? The judgment day will show it because it is to be revealed. God's going to make it known. Reveal it with fire. Fire is a symbol in the New Testament of the purifying judgment of God and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. In other words, God is going to test, judge, and reveal, make known what you are contributing to the quality of this church by your growth or lack of growth, by your growth in dealing with people or your lack of growth in dealing with people by you're becoming more like Christ-like or not. It's true for me. It's true for you. It's true for each and every one of us. 
And then notice what he says in verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it, which he builds on the foundation, which he contributes to the construction of the church, remains, I mean, hay's going to burn up, right? But you heat gold and you get the impurities out of it. And God uses the testing fires to either refine and purify us or to burn it up because there's not much to it. One or the other. And he says if what you're contributing to the construction of the church stands that testing, that revelation, he says in verse 14, you will receive a reward. Rewards in heaven. But then he says in verse 15, if any man's work is burned up like the hay and straw and so on, he will suffer loss, a loss of rewards, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. In other words, if you're not contributing to the growth of the church because you're not growing in Christ the way God expects you to, yeah, you're saved. And you're going to be in heaven. You know, you're going to get there. You're saved. But no rewards. Loss of reward, suffer loss. Listen, the idea that all of us are identical in heaven is not biblical. The New Testament clearly teaches there are rewards in heaven and some will be rewarded and others won't. We're there, we're saved, we're in the streets of glory, we're home, we have a perfect body, but some are going to be rewarded and honored because of what they've done in faithfulness to contribute to the growth of the body of Christ because of their own growth as a follower of Christ in this life. Faithfulness and growth and transformation will be honored and glorified and rewarded in glory. Now, I happen to believe that anybody who truly loves Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength does not want to go into heaven hooked up to a record towing you in because you're broken down. I happen to think that any of us who love the Lord Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength want to go into heaven and be rewarded want to go into heaven knowing, yes, we messed up at times. We were not perfect. We needed the forgiveness of God. But we grew in Christ's likeness and we contributed to the Christ's likeness of the church. To the construction of the church. To the development of the church. Because in my little part of this world, I became more like Jesus. And because I became more like Jesus, this church became just a little bit more like Jesus. I think if we love the Lord, we want that. You want that. And so read your Bible and pray. But I have lived long enough to know that the thing that is holding some of you back in your Christian growth is you don't want to deal with the attitudes that you have about people. And it's holding you back. It's holding you back. The greatest example of Christian maturity is our Lord hanging on that cross. 
And brothers and sisters, when he hung on that cross, he was dealing with all the messes that people made. Is that easy? No. Are there some easier for us to struggle through and deal with than others? Yeah. But you see, Christ's likeness means I'm letting God work in me to get me there. And some of you, if you would forgive some people, it'd be amazing what God would do in your life. If some of you stopped thinking just about what you want long enough to act more like a grandparent. Amazing what it would do for the church. Keep growing. Don't stay where you are. Keep growing. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, let him become the foundation of your life. Because he's got things he wants to do in your life. There's lessons he wants to teach you, growth he wants. And I'm going to tell you, growing is a happier place to be than not growing. It just is. It's a happier place to be. And then being in heaven doesn't get any happier than that. So will you give your life to Christ? Let's stand. Father.